So, you slept in. Hey, we're not judging. Sometimes you just need to get a little more sleep. And if you do need to snooze, we'd much rather you did that at home, in your warm, comfortable bed, than in our pews. You can always catch up with the sermon later, right here on the Sunday Morning Sleep-In Podcast. Now, you'll still miss out on the intergenerational community that showing up at church on Sunday morning gives you, uh, and the support and encouragement of that. And you might miss out on some good songs, uh, and the charming children at Children's Time, who told me this week, oh, never mind. No, no, don't tell me. Um, they told me this. I asked them if they knew how to make bread. They only knew how to make banana bread. <gasps> I thought that was pretty funny. My kind of children. <laughs> right? And then and then, then the choir was like, and it has to have nuts in it. Oh. Anyway. And then they ruined it. And we won't be able to give you <laughs> and we won't be able to give you any cookies or coffee, but we'll give you what we can. Right, I'm Chris Marshall. And I'm Susan Foster. And we are United Methodist Pastors in Reno, Nevada. Now we're not theological experts and we are not perfect preachers, but we are your average pastors helping our congregations think through life's big questions every week. We started this podcast so that if you're away from home or working or maybe you're on vacation with your children right before school starts, Mm. maybe just sleeping in, you can keep up with some of the ideas floating around the church. Each episode is a conversational version of a sermon one of us gave on Sunday, and this time it's a sermon both of us gave on Sunday. So whatever day it is when you're listening to this, we just hope that you receive it with an open mind and an open heart. And a quick note, we really hope that you disagree with us, or at least maybe not agree with everything we say. In fact, we encourage you to question, to disagree, and to figure out what you think. But our sincere hope is that you will experience the mysterious loving force in the world we know as God moving in your life as you consider this. So Susan. So Chris. So we both preached the same scripture in a similar way yes. on Sunday. And so rather we, than record twice, we have decided to just do it once. And we've not done this before. So it's an experiment. It's an experiment. It's an adventure. It's a two for one today. Mm-hmm. Two for one here in uh, podcast land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, the scripture that inspired this conflation of sermons was Matthew 13, which is a gathering of parables. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus mm-hmm. is teaching people. And parables kind of do two things. They give you an image of something that helps you dig into an idea. All of Jesus's parables are usually about the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God like? But you have to be paying attention. You have to want to see it. So if you are just kind of listening to a parable and you don't really care about doing the work, uh, you will miss the point. You will totally miss the point. And sometimes if you don't, if you're not ready to do the work again, you will miss the point too. Right. Because Because, the point might change over time. Right. Because this is living text. I mean, we really believe that the text speaks to us and continues to speak to us. And so even Chris and I, who have read these passages over and over and heard them all the way to Sunday school and talked about them in seminary, also have the experience of realizing, ooh, there's something new I want to say about this today. Yes, absolutely. So, So... um, the, the other beautiful thing about parables is that um, they help us to see what is holy in the natural order around us. Hmm. Jesus preaches boring parables. They're about farming most of the time. Or, well, farming is pretty exciting if you're a farmer. It's thrilling. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is. It is. Okay. Uh, <laughs> grew no. up in the Central Valley around farmers. And yeah, it, it's, there's some interesting things. But it's, well, you know, it's, it's hard, toilsome work. Right. It's not easy work. It's not easy work. Anyway, 
Jesus tells stories about everyday things. Everyday things. Farming and bread and fishing and everything else. Yes. And so this is one of those. This is the first parable. Is this the first parable? Well, this is the first part of this set. Like this there's is... a whole set here in Matthew 13. Right. Um, that, that the lectionary gives us all the way through July, basically. Right. And, um, but yes, so it's the first set in this set of teaching. I Yes. Yeah. And it's this story is about a farmer, a sower who goes out to sow, mm-hmm. and he is the worst farmer ever. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, he has this practice. He, he's, he's sowing seeds, and um, they don't always land where they need to land. Right. So if you're a farmer, then you obviously you care about using right. the soil that you have carefully prepared mm-hmm. to grow things because then you know that there's no weeds in the soil you know there's no rocks in the soil you know it's fresh and fertilized and ready right and um, it's going to make it easier to harvest it's going to make it easier to tend right right you want to you want to do it in such a way and and also seed is expensive and seed is expensive and so this farmer in this story that Jesus tells goes out to sow and just flings <laughs> seed willy-nilly every direction. So seed lands on the good earth, the prepared earth, but it also lands on the road, which was not asphalt at the time, but might as well have been. It mm-hmm. landed in the weeds. It mm-hmm. landed in on the rocks. rocks. It landed everywhere that you would not want seed right. to land because it's not going to grow. Right. And and, it's, and it seems to us from, you know, knowing what we know about what what are are the this is the image I used in my sermon, which is best practices. Mm-hmm. You know, we we know what the best practices for planting are. When I ask my the kids in my church, how do you plant something? One of the little boys gave this whole like long <laughs> thing about how you prepare the soil, you dig it up, and you make it. You know, he he had this whole thing, and then he sometimes knew. you have to mound it, and some you know he like he was very precise about it. Yeah, and we know that. Yeah, we. And so I mean, even we, when we're reading the story, we go. Huh. From a very young age. Yeah, you don't have to be a farmer to get that this is not a good idea. Silly. Not that, it's yeah. not cost effective. Okay. It's not right. efficient. Right. It's not strategic. Right. It is foolish. Foolish or wasteful at, at the very at least. At the very least, wasteful. And and whenever I heard this story um, when I was a little girl, because then it's interpreted later. So right. Jesus tells a story it, right? and then later he interprets it. And he interprets it and he talks about what the different things are. And so he talks about um, the seed are the you know the truth of the words that he's speaking mm-hmm. the the kingdom of God and the soil is us and right. you know you can be good soil and you're going to listen to the word and it's going to take root and you're going to grow no. and it's going you're going to be fruitful or you could be in the rocky soil which is you know it has a certain interpretation or the weedy soil mm-hmm. which means the cares of the world are going to strangle mm-hmm. out yeah. the truth of the gospel or on the road anyway all these different places. Right. That you can be, you can be soil. Yeah, and this one has been, and that interpretation has been in in uh, encased in Godspell. Mm-hmm. If you see Godspell, this is this is a very dramatic scene as with they soil with the with all the all the characters being soil and you know in my head that's what I always hear when I what I always see when I hear this passage or read I, this passage. I wanted to like Godspell, <laughs> but for so many reasons I don't. Um, so. Anyway, so, yeah, so, but even as a little girl in Sunday uh-huh. school, it was, you want to be good soil, because if you're not good soil, you know, yeah. like, you're bad soil, and bad nobody soil. Nobody wants to be bad. Nobody wants to be bad soil. And so, you know, you want to be good soil. And so, you know, cultivating the readiness to be open, all this, that's great. But what it occurs to me is that this time, both mm-hmm. of us realize, uh, this is not the parable of the soil. 
This is the parable of the sower. Right. The story, if we lose focus on the farmer, Mm -hmm. we might have missed one of the very important Important points points that you can draw from the story. And it's also about to remind ourselves, too, that um, stories have meaning depending on where we put ourselves in the story. Yeah. And so if you put so yourself we, in the place of the soil. soil. That's great. But what happens when we take that shift and put ourselves in the place of the sower? Right. Because if the sower is sowing the kingdom of God, God and flinging it absolutely everywhere, then it means that anywhere can be someplace the kingdom of God takes root. Yep. And that's something we want to cultivate because that's yes. Jesus' whole message was the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at okay. hand. The kingdom of God, God is here. Coming, coming, coming. We are building here, heaven here, here. on earth. What are you doing about it? We both told the same story. I'm going to let Susan tell the story. Yeah. So the story we told comes from a, come, comes from a Theodore Wardlow. Wardlow. Wardlaw. Wardlaw. Uh, who uh, wrote a sermon resource. One of those things we read to help us think because it's not just, none of, none of this comes in a vacuum. So, right. um, but the story he tells about this passage is he talks about how he once, he opens it by saying, I, I, I caught a glimpse of God and God's mercy one time, you know, in a place that didn't seem like good soil, didn't, isn't the place you would have thought that God's mercy would show up. And he talks about um, being with a group of civic leaders, you know, politicians and foundation representatives and such, lawyers, journalists, uh, and touring parts of, of the city's criminal justice system. And it was near the end of, end of the day, and they had been seeing lots of things. And they end up at the juvenile correction facility. Mm-hmm. And the way he describes it is just so... Um, so perfect. Having been to one myself, I was like, oh, yes, yes. yes. this sounds familiar. This sounds familiar. It's just um, dour. Right? Um, place was so depressing. It's landscape marked with wire mesh gates with large padlocks and razor-wrapped wire um, around electrified fences. And when the doors clanged shut behind us, I imagined how final that must always sound when adolescents, children... Yeah. are escorted here. And so they went and they saw level by level, floor by floor, all like the different sections. The holding cells and the, the classrooms, classrooms and the and courtrooms rooms. and the and cells. None of it, none of it, none of it hopeful, right? Yeah. None of it feeling hopeful. And near the end of the tour, they're down a, they're going down a hallway where the cells of the young people, the young offenders lived. And, and he said each steel door has a narrow slot about two thirds the way up and through which various pairs of eyes were watching this crowd as they walked down the hall. I mean, like, what else is there to do but to see what's happening outside? A little bit outside, right? And and these are and obviously these are kids for whom there had been no outside support. There had been no no family family breakdown and um, no nurture, not from adult, not from family, not from neighborhood, not from church. I really liked when he acknowledged that, like. These were the eyes of kids, kids who had committed. Some of them had committed yes. major crimes. Yes. Some of them were repeat right. offenders. Yeah, these um, are not innocent little kids. He he, he really yeah. saw that. Like, you know, right. it's not just like the, that they are victims, although they are. But there's also this part right. of like right. they have already become complicit in the yeah. system. Yeah, major crimes. And, and he says it was hard to walk down that hallway and see these eyes without doing something. Mm-hmm. And he so he says, I lingered at one door and whispered to one pair of eyes, God loves you. And one of the members of the group broke down. Right. They, not because of that. Not because of him, but just because it right. was it was The environment, such... right. And he admits, he says, you know, I said that to one kid. I don't know if it meant anything. 
Yeah, who cares? Who, and who can, knows? Who knows? Or who, who knows if the eyes registered that at all? Certainly right. it wouldn't be something that they would say, excuse me, sir, you have changed my life. Right. I am right. now a good person. Right. And then and then to watch, as you said, somebody else in the group who's overwhelmed by this day and by these moments and by this place who just stopped in the hallway and began to cry. Yeah. And their tour guide was a, a young judge who um, noticed this crying individual and stopped the tour and came up to them and hugged them and with tears in her own eyes said, I know and I understand. Theodore says, "Um, I thought to myself, I want to judge like that. Yeah. And he says, and then he went, and then he goes, and then I realized I have one. Yeah. Like seed thrown into his path that indeed I do have a judge like that. Right. A judge who says, I know and I understand, understand. rather than saying, well, that's not good soil. <laughs> right. Well, that's not uh, good soil. Well, that's not good practice. Yeah. Why, why, not, why am I wasting my time with you? That's not efficient. Right. Because this method is not efficient. No. <laughs> I would never say that the kingdom of God is an efficient matter. I mean, we could talk about whether the court system is efficient either. Yeah, right. But we don't need to go there. But, but you know, but, uh, you know in terms of like how, how we understand seed tossing and planting... It doesn't make sense to stop and tell one person God loves them. Yeah. Because, right. because, because you know, it might, it might maybe have made him feel better to do that, right. to want to just speak some hope and speak some truth mm-hmm, mm-hmm. into that situation. But, but who knows, you but know, who knows, who, who knows, knows if anything, anything could ever come out of that. But, well, yeah. Um, but he felt compelled to say something anyway. Yeah. And, and it's not efficient. If we if we get caught in the trap of thinking the kingdom of God is that sm- is small enough that we need to make sure that every drop of the news of it lands on great soil, right? We've missed the point. We have missed the point because it's an extravagant kind of. It's a totally extravagant thing. Kind of love. So, um, so we talked about this story and how the parable of the sower reminds us that in this image of God, good news is extravagant. Mm -hmm. God's love is extravagant and uh, we cannot be good enough soil that we will get all of the love. We just get to receive it. But there's this other interpretation of if you don't put yourself just in the place of the soil, if you realize that if the sower represents God and we are made in the image of God, Mm -hmm. that we are called also to sow Good news. Yeah. That we are called also to spread God's love in the mm-hmm. world and mm-hmm. to do it extravagantly, to do it audaciously, to to not worry about whether or not it has the impact that we were expecting right. from our business plan. Right. Well, and, and, and his story also Im- imagines that, right? Yeah. Like, like he is changed because he took that opportunity. Right. We are changed when we when we claim our claim our position in the story that that helps us see that it's not just about us it's not just about us and it's not passive uh-uh, uh-uh. we actually have to do something one of the things that i love about our methodist tradition is that it is incredibly practical mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. all ways it is practical you can stand up in front of a church and say god loves you and the congregation is going to say so what and it doesn't mean that they don't think that that's important. It's tell me how that impacts my life. Tell me how I live into that. Because right. if it doesn't have a practical application, why are you bothering to waste the waste the space with it? Right? Wait, wait, we got work to do. We have we have things to do here. And yeah. so if it's not going to help us be more loving, more kind, more generous, more compassionate, more justice seeking, then 
who cares? Yeah. And so I love that this story, you know, this interpretation from, from, I called him Teddy. Teddy. Wardlaw. Oh. Um, from Teddy Wardlaw helps us to remember that the kingdom of God is not just something that we receive, but something that we, we do. Give. It's something that we give away. And that you only know half of the fullness of love if you receive it. Oh, yeah. That there yeah. is something that happens when you give right. that helps you to understand the completeness and the fullness of yes. uh, what grace does. Definitely. So, cool. Well, thanks, Susan, and thank you, Theodore Wardlaw, for inspiring us. Yes. Um, and thank you all for listening to the Sunday Morning Sleep-In podcast. If you have something that you'd like to say to us about whatever we talked about today, questions for us or stories that relate to what we've been talking about, you can shoot us an email. We're at sundaymorningsleepin at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, the scripture for the podcast was Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9 and 18 through 23. And the theme music that you're hearing right now is Take Me Higher by Jazzer. Yes, and it's traditional at the end of a service that there would be a blessing, a benediction, a Sunday and forth, or as Chris often says, homework. Homework. And this is a passage that definitely lends itself to homework. Because I think one of the things we have been trained to do, we have been too shy or too... Private. Private. To just sow seeds. You don't have to you don't have to chase somebody down the block. You don't have to knock on your neighbor's door. But what you are called to do is is to share the joy that you have found, to share the peace you have found, to share the love that you know. So that God's kingdom may be realized not just by you, but by all. Amen. <laughs>